Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Um, my name is Becky Patton, and I'm a member of the Elder Board here at um, Genesis. And we, as you, I hope everybody has read their email that we have sent out. We're trying to stay as communicative as possible. But we are getting ready to start a three-sermon series to consider, and the, today is the first one of those, and it's how do we actually read our Bible. The next Sunday, what we're going to have is a, uh, in, how do we interpret passages relevant to the stance regarding LGBTQIA inclusion. And then the third Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to cover healthy sexuality, all in 20 minutes on each of those. So um, anyway, I think it's worth coming, though, you know, so, but part of it is so we can have some common language. That's the purpose of it. These sermons are part of a six-month discernment process that we will end in six months in Genesis, where we're going to actually make a clarifying decision. And part of that is a clarifying statement about whether or not we will support LGBTQIA um, marriages and um, them being on staff. So that's, it's very important. So one of our important priorities is that we, during this process, we are transparent. We want to be transparent with you where we're at and what our process looks like. And the other thing is we want to be transparent with the covenant denomination. We want you to realize that we are doing that. We are staying in contact with the covenant denomination. The first step in the process was that we sent you out a survey which many of you participated in, and we had 41 responses to that survey, and I wanna give you the results of that. While the names and the comments will remain confidential, like we said, we wanna give you guys some information about it. Of the 41%, what we found is 76% indicated they supported the idea of LGBTQ individuals being married and serving on staff. 12% were not sure, 10% are supportive of the community being welcome at Genesis while remaining unmarried and not serving in leadership, and then 2% were other. So that's the results of the survey. Um, Most of the responses were anonymous. So actually we don't know, and this is the hard part, we don't know how many of those people are actually currently participating in the Genesis community, which is an important factor as we're looking at this conversation. So um, part of it is because our mailing list we sent it out to is, ha- includes people who used to attend here that may not attend now. So it's, it's a hard process to kind of narrow that down. But the result of the highlight is the why of we're doing this right now is we're having this conversation right now, not only because of the recent vote at the annual meeting of the Covenant Denomination in Omaha this summer, which was, has applied a little pressure for Genesis to have a clarifying stance, but also because there's so many individuals in our community 
that want to have this conversation, that are having this conversation on their own. And we want to do it as a community. That being said, these, that number, these numbers show that there are some among us who are wrestling with this issue and who are not supportive of marriage and leadership. And because of this, it's imperative that we actually talk to one another, be in these conversations. Some of these conversations will feel tension-filled. Yep, they will, but that's a part of it. And so one of the things that the elder team has done is we have appointed a committee. And at this time, I'm going to ask the committee to stand. You know who you are. And the one person who is not here today because his kids have the flu is Brian McWhite. So, um, but part of it is, and I'm going to ask them to remain standing because these are our connection, you guys. These are the people that we want you to go to. We want you to take your questions, your comments, because... Um, I think there's a lot of voices that we haven't heard yet, and we want to hear those voices. So many of you have asked an important question about how this decision will be made, and there are some assumptions that have been made, and the reality is, is this committee is, we call them a listening committee. Thank you, Jenny, for naming us. It is a listening committee. We are here to listen and gather from the community. And the part of that that's so important is your voice matters, and we value that. We value all these voices. So these are the people you can go to, and they want to hear what you have to say. And they want to hear what you have to say regardless of their own stance. They want to listen. And that's what we want to be a part of is listening. What will happen at the end of the six-month period is this committee will gather everything that they've heard from people, and they will be responsible for writing up a statement that they will bring before the Genesis members of the congregation and the congregation, the voting members, will actually make the decision. This is not this committee making the decision. It's not the leadership and the elders. This is our decision that we need to make together. So that statement will be brought before the Genesis members for a vote to either accept it or not, and that vote will require a two-thirds majority vote of the members present for the vote. And then that decision will be communicated to the covenant uh, denomination. So, how do we go forward from here? We want to be, we will continue to be uh, transparent with you, giving you information that we have, communicating through emails, announcements, and thus, but we want to hear back from you. So, that's one of our values is conversation. Conversation happens when you get an email and you possibly send back a response, or you pull Greg aside and you say, I want to have a conversation with you. And part of that is that's how we have conversation and make space for that. So, Everybody in agreement that we're going to honor conversation during the midst of this because the reality is, is this conversation will, hold, will hold elements of tension. But we want to be with one another in the process because the process is what we care about. How we go through this together is what is important. Okay? Thank you. And now I'm going to call up Jen. You can sit down. Thank you, committee. Listening committee. And now I'm going to call Jenny to read the scripture. Our scripture this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, through chapter 5, chapter 4, verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4. 
In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to Jenny, too. Nice job. Well, Becky, well said. Thank you so much for leading us through that, and thank you to the committee for uh, leading us to that point. And uh, so, as Becky said, week one is just getting some common language about how it is that we read the Bible. See, Anora, you did great. It's so great. Uh, how it is that we read the Bible. And so this is going to be, I think, instructive both for our LGBTQ conversation, but also just for if you've been at Genesis for a while or if you're new, this is really how we view the Bible and how we wrestle with it and how we read it, how we respond to it. So I'll dive right in. Uh, the first thing uh, that would, uh, I've written three statements that would, is very official, but three statements that reflect how we see the Bible. So statement number one, we believe the Bible really happened, is still happening, and will happen. So we believe the Bible really happened, is still happening, and will happen. And we get that actually right from the verses that Jenny read from 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired by God. And I remember memorizing this verse as a little Awana kid back in the 1970s. I was a little sparky, and, and you can say anything you want about Awana, but I remember this verse. I think it was the, the main thing. Uh, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. And so, the word inspired is the word theonoustos, two words put together. Theo means God, and noustos means breathed, or pneuma is breath. And so if something is God-breathed, that gives it the reality of that it's eternal. If something's God-breathed, humans, and this, these scriptures, they are eternal. And so it means that it's more than just words on a page, and it's more than just tenets to live by. And it's more than just something you can open up and try to figure out how to answer where you go to college or where your kids go to college or where you'll move or where you won't move. It's something bigger than that. It happened, it is still happening, and it will happen. So here's our first all-play question. As it relates to the Bible, answer any one of these three questions. What happened in it? What is still happening as you read it? And what do you think will happen as you read it? Answer any one of those. What happened? What is happening? 
And what do you think will happen? <laughs> All the above. Okay, so Bob, I hear you putting God as the main character. God happened. God is happening. God will happen. Love that. Thanks, Bob. Anyone else? Oh, man. Come on now. All the above, dot, 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 love. Thanks, Jackson. Love it. What else? Say it again, Greg. Community in conversation and conversation. Where we're going right now. Exactly. Thank you, Greg. It's like the community of God actually has always been in these kinds of conversations, trying to figure out where the Spirit of God is leading with every generation, looking to the Bible for guidance for those who have gone before us. Um, love it. What else? Alicia, there's a lot of scandal in the Bible. And oh, by the way, that's still happening now. That's what she said. Yes. Game of Thrones. Molly? There's a lot of love. Molly's going to just be with Jackson and say, there's a lot of love. Tov. Okay, thanks, Sherry. Tov is a word for, it means good, but it also means a good that kind of keeps reproducing itself, a good that has seeds of good within it. So the more good that is done, the more good that is done. Yes. Yes, thank you. What's your name? Kathy, Grandma of Nora. Whoop. And she participates in the all play. I mean, come on, Grandma. <laughs> Birth of a baby and the creation of something new. Love that. Okay, Deb, a continuing conversation about who is in and who is out. Bob? Okay, Bob said warfare and oppression, sadly, was happening, is happening, and will happen. It's a good segue to uh, my piece in this. And so uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 22 through 24 I think really sets the stage for the story of the Bible. And the Israelites are, they've been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. So the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. And out of slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. And then in chapter 3, all of a sudden, so that's like, that's like the movie breaks there. The, the camera goes to black. Cries were being heard by God's people. God took notice of them. To which the next question for all the movie watchers is, God took notice of God's people groaning in their distress. What's God going to do? And the very next verse in chapter 3 is, 
Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock beyond the wilderness, and they came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, we hear Moses, and we think, oh, yeah, you know, one of the main heroes in the Bible. But at that moment in time, Moses was a murderer, someone who, a fugitive, someone who was very angsty for 40 years, named his son Foreigner because he was so anxious and angsty about his place in the world. So God hears the God's, God's cries of God's people. And then if you could climb into this moment somehow, and all of a sudden, like, like if you were, if, if it was in that moment in time and someone said, listen, God heard God's cries of God's people. You're one of the s- slaves in Egypt. You're making bricks. You're breaking your back. And then you hear that the whole plan is that a loser named Moses who stutters and who has been a fugitive for 40 years is the plan. You'd be like, wow, I want a new plan. (laughs) And yet, that's the plan. And that's what we see in the scriptures. When we see that the Bible really happened, is still happening, will happen, we see over and over and over again, the Bible is one of the only history books you want to call it that, though it's much more than that, that's written by the people that are being oppressed and not the oppressors. And it's fascinating if you just remember that, because you get perspectives of what it means to be oppressed over and over and over again. It's not just in the Hebrew scriptures, but all throughout the New Testament as well. And we see the story over and over again, and pardon my language here, but of losers being called by God to go do something about it. And when I mean lose, I don't mean loser. I mean just nobodies. I mean people who should not be in that position, according to all we think about heroes. So Moses comes up. So I want to say a caveat to this, the Bible really happened, is still happening, will happen, before we move on to the next one. And the caveat is this. All Scripture really is God-breathed, inspired by God, but not all Scripture is meant to be applied today as it was written then. Uh, I'll give you an example. Exodus 21. Uh, And this is uh, verses 20 through 24. When a slave owner strikes a male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies immediately, the owner shall be punished. I mean, this is one of the like God's laws. So what do we assume is just happening no matter what? Slavery. Yeah, so it's not don't have slaves. It's if you get so mad at your slave and you hit them so hard that they die, you need to know you're going to be punished. Now, that's a good thing probably in that system, but if you were to read that and go, well, yeah, we can absolutely infer then that slavery should happen then there's a problem, right? And it goes on. Uh, But if the slave survives a day or two, there is no punishment. For the slave is the owner's property. When people who are fighting injure a pregnant woman so that there is a miscarriage, yet no further harm follows, the one responsible shall be fined what the woman's husband demands, paying as much as the judges determine. 
If any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Everybody down? Yeah, sign off on that. Pretty good. Now, fascinatingly, that sounds so horrible because it is, but in the time, a restriction of essentially, if someone burns you, the most you can do in retaliation is to burn them back. That was actually a huge restriction in violence. Because in the days of no real you know, law enforcement, someone burns you, if you have more people in your clan, you can kill them without any recourse. So it's actually a movement toward justice. As crazy as that sounds, right? Like the Bible, even back then, was progressive. Doesn't that sound crazy? Eye for an eye is progressive. Woo! But then we get to Matthew chapter 5, and we read Jesus. He's going to quote it. Man, and this guy was, whew. He said, Jesus, you, heard, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Everyone's thinking that passage that we just read. But I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. So he's taking that eye for an eye and he's taking it to the next level. If an eye for an eye back in Exodus was meant to restrict violence, what Jesus is doing is trying to overthrow violence. Not with violence, but with peace. And to anyone who would have said like, yeah, well, love. Love feels so mushy and so soft. Do just spend your life trying to do Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42, and see how soft and mushy it is. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Uh, one more caveat in terms of all scriptures inspired by God. I remember about a year ago, uh, someone came up to me and said, someone gave the example of Jonah in the belly of the whale, and I said something like, now, you may believe that that was literal or not, but no matter what, we spend days in the dark. We spend three days in the dark. And man, he was just upset, and I get it. And I was like, okay, I can see that you are upset. Why are you upset? And he said, because if you don't take that part literally, that Jonah actually was actually in the digestive juices of the belly of the whale for three actual days, then you can't take anything literally. And I think that's a great question. My pushback is then I think that actually demeans the Bible. I think it brings the Bible to a much lower level than it could be. Certain things in the Bible, many things in the Bible, are absolutely to be taken literally, but we're people who can discern and talk, as Greg said, together, and say, what's the real lesson here? To me, it's much more important to be able to have the tools to walk through my three days in the dark whether that be because of cancer, or divorce, or miscarriage, or death, uh, you're going to go through three days in the dark. How will you go through it? And Jonah's going to teach us how to do it. As long as we don't get too caught up in, well, if I'm not actually in the belly of the actual whale. Does that make sense? Now, we can go back and forth on whether or not that's little. That's fine. That's a great conversation. 
my point is, when we say all the Bible really happened is still happening and will happen, it's happening on many levels. So um, let's go to the second statement. The second statement that you've heard said around here before, and you'll hear it again, is the Bible is a 70-sided gem that needs to be turned and turned around so that you can see all that you need to see in it. The rabbis said this, the Torah has 70 faces. Turn it around and around for everything is in it. The Torah is a work of literary art written by God himself and therefore shares characteristics with other works of art. Let me just stop for a second there. As you think about the Bible being a 70-sided gem, you have to turn it and turn it so that you can see all that there is to see, and that it shares characteristics with other works of art, how do you respond to that? I'm just curious. Overwhelmed. Is that Nate back there? Nate, oh, you're overwhelmed by that, yeah. What else? Did you say we have to have conversations with others who are seeing it from different sides? Absolutely, absolutely. So you only, Andrew's saying, essentially, you, you, you really can't even see the 70 sides unless you're in conversation with other people who are seeing it differently than you. Yeah, Jenny, you were saying something? Woo! Okay. If it's art, it's open to interpretation, and people are going to interpret it differently. And there should be and is room for that, right? If we extend to one another freedom to disagree on certain interpretations while still believing the best about each other. Like, we actually can do that. Okay, Nick says, you've got to be ready to see something that maybe you didn't expect to see or haven't yet seen. I love that. And by the way, say hi to Sally. Sally moved to California. She's back visiting for a wedding, but she's graced us with her presence. Hi, Sally. I love what you said, that it's beautiful to look through. And we don't have to worry so much about like, oh, how is it different? It's like, no, just for a second, notice that different, how the light hits it and dances. And Bob, I'm going to let, I love, I love what you're about to say, Bob, I'm sure, but I'm going to just make sure everyone else has something to say. Just wait. Anyone else? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's good to be aware of your own filter and that you have one, whether you know it or not, that affects how you see. We all can admit that, right? Like we, like we all can admit we don't see perfectly. We all can admit we have a filter. But then when that filter gets challenged, that's when I get a little crazy, right? You told me I'm wrong. Um, okay, we got to keep moving on. There are four, we use a kind of interpretation of the scriptures that some people call midrash here, and I want to go through it quickly. It's four layers of really looking at the scriptures. 
with 70 sides. The first layer is called Peshat. It means surface, plain, or simple. So in the Peshat layer, the first layer, we're just looking at like names, places, chron chronological events. And so according to like what we just read in Exodus 2 and then into 3, we would say something like Moses, um, we meet Moses in the, in, the, uh, um, in the fields. He's a shepherd and the children of Israel are still in slavery. And this is before he's seen the burning bush. That's where we are. And you can't change that. You can't say, well, I think that was really Abraham actually coming back from the dead. Or I think it was actually Jesus you know, coming before the dead. No, it was Moses. It was before the burning bush. You can't change that stuff. Uh, and so, and then the next layer is remez, and remez means hint, and that's where you look for connections to other passages and allegorical meanings. The Bible was written by Eastern folks who love to put little, what we would call now, hyperlinks, like you click on something, well, what's that? And then you click on it, and it takes you somewhere else that makes you go, oh my gosh, that's what it means. And so instead of trying to make it super clear in one, in that one reading, the writers would on purpose put a little clue in there, like a scavenger hunt that would make you search for something. And then together, as Nick was saying, like as you're talking together, someone else will go like, oh my gosh, have you ever thought about this? And then the rest of the room goes, oh my gosh, no, I've never thought about that. That's crazy. So an example would be, uh, when we get to the burning bush, okay, so that's a very, it's a pretty familiar story. The way God gets to Moses and says, hey, buddy, I want you to go to Egypt where you came from and leave my people out, there's this bush that's burning but not being consumed. Now, a bush burning in the, in the wilderness um, would not be uncommon. Uh, these kinds of uh, bushes would actually, they would reseed that way. But a bush that was constantly burning and not being consumed, that would be out of the ordinary. And so Moses stopped. Now, the writer, in that burning, that word burning, fire, wants us to see something. The writer wants us to ask a question. Does anyone know what question the writer wants us to ask? You guys know this. Some of you know this. It does. Thanks, Rick. Uh, we're going to ask, well, when was that word used for the first time? Because so many times the hyperlink brings us back to the first time that it's used. And um, I, I wish it was the flaming sword, but it isn't. Uh, I, I wanted it to be that, but it isn't. And you can't make up stuff, you know. I, I wanted it to be. The first time the word, that word burning is used is even better, though, in my opinion. Uh, Genesis 15, verse 17 so God is gonna, gonna, God is talking to Abram, and before Abram's really done anything, God's gonna make a covenant with Abram. And he sort of goes into this weird trance, and then it says, when the sun had not gone down and it was dark, this is Genesis 15, 17, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt, Ding, 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 to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, etc. And so what that hint was, for those of us who are in a room with other people who know more than we do, is like burning, oh my gosh, this takes us back to the covenant that God made with Abram. So the burning bush, what, we, what the writer wants us to see there is God remembers God's covenant. 
I'm not going to let you burn in, in Egypt forever. I'm gonna, I made a covenant with you. I'm your God. You're my people. I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to send Moses to come and get you, but that's the way I've chosen. That's the way I've chosen to limit myself, that you have to go do it. The third layer is called derash. It means to seek or inquire. And now we can wonder about what's not immediately apparent, what isn't being said, and why it isn't being said. So uh, in Exodus 3, we're going to actually get to the burning bush here. Again, this is just the same passage that started with uh, God heard God's, the cries of God's people. So Exodus 3, verse 3, Then Moses said um, to the burning bush, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, we don't have time to get into it, but we could ask, God says, Moses, Moses. And then Moses said, here I am. And if you were in a room of 12 people, some of whom knew more than you did, someone would say, that's not the first time I've ever read God saying someone's name twice and then someone saying, here I am. That's not the first time. Where else? Well, uh, little Samuel said it, you know, a little later on. And actually, God says it to God's people in Isaiah. And so it's all this phrase, here I am, is all over the scriptures. And so God is asking people to show up and be willing to go somewhere because God's people are people on the move. The last layer is sod. It means secret or mystery. These are kind of the mystical interpretations and hidden meanings. And so uh, I don't have time to read it, but Exodus 3.13, Moses asks God God's name. And he says it in sort of this cheeky way. Like, suppose the people ask me, who sent me? Who should I say? And God's answer is just, to me, delicious. God says, you tell them that I will be what I will be has sent you. That's how God defines God as a verb. I have a friend who's a rabbi named Nahum, Lord Lev, and he says, he translates that as living presence. I am living presence, past, present, future. So beautiful. So caveat, and I'm way out of time. I'm going to wrap it up here. Reading the Bible with layers doesn't mean you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. That's what I've heard about Midrash sometimes. Well, Midrash, you could just, you know, it's basically just a way to just put your own stuff in there and call it the Bible. No, because every layer of the Midrash needs to not contradict that first layer and not contradict each other. So there are rules and structures to that. For further exploration of Midrash, Study with this organization, our friends, 40 Orchards. Steph Spencer, and they're right here in town. You can look, 40orchards.org, and you can study this way in the room of people that, you know, Rick also leads a study on Thursday nights every other Thursday, and we do other things like that too. Last statement. Since Christ is the original word of God, we believe about the Bible, then God must be Christ-like. Say that again. Since God, since Christ is the original word of God. God must be Christ-like. So John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, 
and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and this life was the light of all people, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So in the beginning, before the Bible, was the Word, and that Word was the Christ. Colossians 1, 15 and 16, he, the Word, the Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. If you want to read further on this, I would suggest you pick up Universal Christ by Richard Rohr, where he talks about the difference that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. The Christ is that which has existed from the beginning. The Christ filled a man who was born in the first century called Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus became Jesus the Christ. Um, so read Universal Christ, and then we'll do a book study on it. So what do we do when we read something about God in the Bible that doesn't sound Christ-like? So God heard the cries of God's people who were enslaved and oppressed in the past, and God heard their cries. God hears their cries, and God will hear the cries of God's people who are enslaved and oppressed. And God's response to those cries is that he sends someone. He sent someone. He is sending someone, and he will send someone to set them free. We can see Jesus as the new Moses. And we can see the body of Christ, the church, as the new Jesus. And not the new Jesus, but the fulfillment of Jesus in the world. Church, church, where's the burning bush that we see? Jesus himself said this in Luke 4. The this is just Exodus 2 repeated. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is claiming in himself, I have been called by God, even though he was fully God, to go to the people who are enslaved and oppressed and set them free. So as we read the Bible, among the, all the confusing parts, we get so lost in the confusing parts. The overall thread is there was a people in slavery. God heard the cries of those people who were in slavery. God sent someone to rescue them, and they rescued them. And God still hears the cries of God's people who are being oppressed. And God is still sending someone to rescue them. And God will always hear the cries of the oppressed. And God will always send someone to rescue them. And again, Jesus is the, he is the redeemer of all who are lost and need rescuing. But we cannot, Jesus is not our banner to wave over and against someone else. Jesus is the redeemer of people calling us, church, church, will you go? Will you hear the cries of the people who are being oppressed? 
And will you walk into harm's way and do something about it? Now, there's a lot of oppressed people and people groups. Will we hear? And I can't hear it by myself. I need Greg. I need Linda. They can't hear it by themselves. They need Kara and Claire. But together, we can see what we can't see and hear what we can't hear. And we can move forward in this moment in time, which is all we have. Amen? Led by Jesus the Christ into where God is calling us. Amen? Next week, we'll look at certain passages that particularly are troublesome regarding LGBTQ inclusion. And we'll just take an honest look according to those, um, those rules. Um, please, can I have that lectionary right there? Lectionary, thanks. Thanks, babe. Um, so please, though, during this whole process, reach out to the committee. Uh, if you don't know who they are, reach out to me and I'll get you to them. And we'll have a great conversation together. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.